Welcome to episode 38 of Mental Health by TalkLink. Here's what's coming up. 60 plus percent of these men who die by suicide have sought help. The idea that this just happens out of the blue is bullshit. There are so many men who are reaching out and who are not getting what they want. Hi, I'm Rowan, and today we're speaking with Dr. Zach Seidler, a clinical psychologist, researcher, and leading men's mental health expert. He currently holds dual roles as the Director of Mental Health Training at Movember and a Research Fellow with Origin at the University of Melbourne. Today we'll speak about men's mental health, masculinity, the idea of toxic masculinity, how men relate to seeking support and help, the role of men in relationships and society more broadly, consent, sexual consent, and the Movember movement and support for men out there. Today's podcast is brought to you by talklink.com.au. It's a modern and approachable mental health directory helping Australians to connect with the right mental health practitioner. In our conversation today with Zach, we'll talk about how men find it really difficult to reach out and connect in with someone, and how often when they do reach out, that connection is not very good, and that often leaves them in a worse place. At TalkLink, we try and improve the quality of connection by giving you a really good sense of who you're about to go see. You can see a short video of them beforehand, you can read a little bit about them, check out their training and their experience and price, so that it's all done in a very transparent way before you even reach out to speak with them. All of the practitioners, so that's psychologists, psychotherapists and counsellors, are available to see clients straight away, so there's no waiting list. They're all independent, licensed and insured, and available for in-person or online consultations. Okay, let's dive in. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Men and men's health has become a real topical conversation point, and most people in prison are men. Most people who are homeless are blokes. Most people who are the victims of violent crime are men. And when I said that to my wife before, she was like, nah, can't be right. But the stats say that, and you're nodding, so... The worst performers at school are men. There are less men going to universities than women now. And the one that really hit me hard was in Australia. Three out of four people who commit suicide are men. Tell us, in your view and in what you're seeing, what's going on and and what's the story with men's mental health right now? Mm. There's a lot of of different aspects to, to unpack there. You know, for all of the listeners who don't identify as male, uh, they come into contact and are, and are often, if anything, more impacted by men's behaviour and men's mental health. This is not just a conversation for men about men. In saying that, those statistics are harrowing. Um, they're the reason that I'm in this field um, in many ways. And they are, if nothing else, uh, representative of the status quo that has been around for far too long in this area. And the reasons for this are really, really complex, especially when we look at incarceration and when we look at homelessness and when we, you know, suicide is the black box of mental health. We have very, very limited understanding as to what is going on. Each, you know, suicide that I have to look into that I do in my research, uh, you know, the people that I work with clinically um, who have attempted suicide, for instance, there's so much diversity. In saying that, there is also typically a common thread. And something that I, that I want to point out is that when we look across all of those 
different different statistics and we can look at gambling and we can look at addiction it's rife within the male population something that jumps out repeatedly is expectation you know is the idea of what men are supposed to be and so uh, lots of people point out you know that there's really heated debate around the notion of patriarchy the idea that um, men have it better and the idea that they make more money on average obviously there's there's the gender pay gap um, you know men have many benefits within society um, that women for a very long time haven't had you know we've been able to vote a lot longer with you know there's there's so many things from a, a gender binary perspective that that men benefit from but nonetheless you know our life expectancy which i think is the greatest representation of where we sit is five to six to seven years shorter depending on where you're looking so than women so what that tells us uh, and you add in the education stuff you add in all of these life events that happen throughout the throughout the lifespan of a man what it tells us is that men are not benefiting from this system that is that is supposedly looking after them and so uh, what i try to to suggest in many ways is that these expectations of who you should be as a man what you should strive for what success looks like are actually seriously harming us in many ways because what is being sold to us from from the media from film from music from every angle is that there is one way to be a man um, and that one way is fundamentally unattainable and what that means is that everybody feels like a failure and you wonder why there is homelessness and and poor education and gambling and addiction and, and, and suicide because there is this constant feeling and there's this beautiful quote by a, a researcher called Joseph Vandelow who talks about precarious manhood and I think that that's the perfect expression here is it is so precarious his quote is masculinity is hard won and easily lost we work tirelessly to try to live up to this standard uh, this unassailable situation which suggests that you know just work harder make more money be a better provider look after your kids you know do all of these things but also be vulnerable you know also find the time to to self-care all of these constantly contradictory statements that are really really complex mean that we're striving towards this thing that keeps moving it's a goalpost that keeps moving and it means that men are left feeling inadequate and with that comes all of these statistics that show that we're just not doing very well and we need to start doing things differently yeah my wife's watching mad men at the moment you know it's a, a series about new york set in the 60s and there's this you know mighty alpha man in the middle of it played by john ham and she made the comment uh, afterwards to me she's, she's like oh you're really born in the wrong time ruan if you're born, if you'd been born in the '60s, you would have been, you know, the alpha man, the top of the pecking order. The world would have been your oyster, and it's almost as if the pendulum swung the other way for men in society right now. It's like um, men have a lot to fear in the way that people view them today. It's like even your physical presence can be a microaggression when you speak. It can be mansplaining when you move. It can be manspreading. Um, do you see the sense of fear across your work and? What does that mean for men and their mental health? 
I would posit just to start with that uh, John Hamm was not having a good time in, in Mad Men. I don't <laughs> think the men in the 60s were actually, they look, they look again, they look all powerful. They look like they've got their shit together. They look like everything is perfect. But man, you, you, you continue watching that show and everything unravels. So I think that that, that really is the perfect expression. If you scratch below the surface, that's what I see. You know, you see all of this posturing. You see all of these men presenting something to the world that they want to be seen as all-powerful, strong, providing, protecting, you know, and, and it is just not going to happen. And so if anything, if we can find a way to express, you know, what's truly going on for us underneath that guise, that mask, you know, they talk, they talk about the mask of masculinity and how, how the public and private masculinity uh, that men have are so discrepant, are so different from one another, because the way that we move around the world is very different from how, you know, we we enact our own manhood in private, for instance. But when it comes to the fear that underlies all of this, I think what what it comes down to for me is a lack of open conversation amongst men, constructive conversation about what is happening. You know, what is what is going on right now and how do we need to respond to this? That What happens is that there's a backlash movement. You know, there's anger that comes in when we feel like we're being stripped of something that we had. You know, the John Hams had everything and now look at us, we have nothing. That's clearly not the case. What's clear is that instead of that backlash, we need to understand what can we do differently that is going to benefit us and others. And I think uh, just like, for instance, the climate change movement, where we're starting to go, all right, uh, if we continue to mine coal, we're actually losing out here. We're losing money. Like it's renewable energy is a smarter move. Yeah. We're going to make more money. We're going to live longer. We're going to have more jobs in the long term, but we have to give up something now. And so the way, that I, the way that I see this movement amongst men is that we need to have groups of guys talking about, you know, what will happen if we are to have this constructive conversation about, for instance, having more women in CEO positions, for instance. You know, there are lots of guys who are railing against that, having more women in, in politics, whatever it may be, how we will give up something small now for what will hopefully be a long-term gain. The problem is, is that that long-term gain is really abstract and is not something that many men can actually see right now. You know, it's always the present. You feel like you're losing something. You go, no, 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 I'm not going to, that doesn't seem worthwhile. So what I'm seeing when it comes to the fear is the fact that this whole situation amongst men is really a very nuanced and very, novel situation for them it's something that they haven't dealt with before and the reason for that is because gender and masculinity and where we stand as men has never ever been questioned before there's never been a discussion about this you know the women have been talking about it amongst themselves for a very long time from the 60s you know the the, the suffragettes and this whole movement has has led to this splintering off of women talking about where they stand, how powerless they are, what they need, what they want. And men have just gone on continuing, obviously, as, as, as they are. Um, and now uh, it's coming to the fore and, and men are being pulled into this conversation. And, and what I'm seeing with the fear and the anger is, uh, I guess, a situation which presents itself as 
we're not necessarily prepared for this in many ways um, because it's not something we've had to handle before. It's not something we necessarily know how to deal with and it is becoming an us versus them argument. Um, and that's why it's becoming, I think, problematic for many men and they're feeling victimized. And what I always say is that while many men feel powerless at the moment and the manspreading and the mansplaining and being you know, told that they are constantly creating microaggressions left, right and center, while that might feel you know, real for many of them, they may feel powerless in many ways. It is not necessarily true, if that makes sense. Something can be real and not true in the broadest sense. So you can really feel powerless. There are plenty of, of white men in regional Australia right now who are seriously struggling, you know, let alone in lockdown cities across, across Australia. But there are plenty of people, you know, there are farmers who feel like they have no control over their lives. And you tell them that there's patriarchy and they've got all the privilege in the world and they'll tell you to fuck off. That's what they'll do because it doesn't, doesn't ring true to them. But, you know, on a, on a very broad level compared to a, a female farmer, for instance, they would, still, they would still be benefiting. But that doesn't matter. So what happens is that we need to talk to these people in a way that is not shaming them, in a way that goes, I understand this is shit for you. This is really, really difficult. How can we find a way um, to get your needs met so that you can understand that you need to come along for this journey, I guess, in many ways? Yeah, I, th I think the bits that really hit me there was um, if it becomes an us versus them conversation, it's not a fertile space for any kind of positive outcome and certainly the idea of viewing men as victims is probably not going to put men in an empowered place to be able to affect any change you did talk about masculinity a little bit in terms of masculinity at home versus masculinity out in, in the broader world can you dig into that a little bit more do you have any sense or is there is there much much science around the components of masculinity which are healthy and constructive and powerful and empowering versus the elements of, uh, of behavior that's conflated with toxic masculinity. Can you talk mm, about that a sure. little bit? Definitely. I would love to. So toxic masculinity to start with um, is a, damn, it's a, it's, a, it's a hot topic at the moment. Um, it's all anyone wants me to talk about. And I can assure all of your listeners uh, whether they you know, agree with it or, or hate the term, there is no science behind the term. So it's a media term. It was created by the media. Um, obviously, toxic is an extremely emotive word and it got everyone's attention and potentially rightfully so for what were toxic behaviours. But creating the term toxic masculinity, again, brings it down to a singular construct, which is to say, Masculinity is one thing and it is sick and it is broken and it is harmful. Most male and female listeners on the call, you know, will, will understand that that is just not the case. What, you know, we need to understand is that masculinity exists on a spectrum. There are all of these traditional norms like self-reliance, stoicism, independence, strength, power, you know, all of these, what, what are considered, you know, really base ideas of what masculinity is. And those are not fundamentally harmful. When they become harmful is when they become rigid. So 
something that I always try to stress, whether it's in my clinical or research world, is that flexible masculinity is the key here. So for instance, self-reliance when it is rigidly upheld, which is, you know, I can do everything on my own. You know, the perfect example is uh, when you're traveling and uh, you're with your partner or somebody else and someone goes, oh, you need to ask for directions. And you go, no, fuck that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work this out. And then you end up in the middle of nowhere and it's night and, you know, there are guys with knives around and you're like, oh, I probably should have asked a while back. That is where self-reliance, because you are an immovable object, you know, you are, I'm going to hold this until my dying breath. That is when things become really problematic. And the research tells us reliably that self-reliance rigidly upheld is the greatest predictor of suicidality in men. So the men who are, who are not willing to share, who are not willing to open up, who are not willing to ask for help when they need it, not all the time, you know, there's a time for you to just get on with it. And that's why in certain instances, masculinity is very protective when it comes to mental health. It's really helpful. You know, there are times where, you know, if you're stranded somewhere and you just need to get back on the horse and find a way out and find a solution and, 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 you know, bury your emotions for 10 minutes at a time, go for gold. Really, really useful. I always use the, the metaphor of the fireman. The fireman cannot have a breakdown in the middle of a fire. Yeah, he's really, really good at finding ways for stoicism and self-reliance um, while in the middle of a, of a crisis. The problem is, is that the vast majority, and I work with plenty of first responders, they come out and they do not debrief. They do not show vulnerability they do not express and and talk about what they've seen that's when it becomes a problem so what i always say is that if you can use these things to your advantage and then find a way to alleviate that distress as well in in other ways that's when it's going to be really useful so that's where that spectrum of masculinity comes in where it's like is this going to be helpful to me in this context or is it not? And can I just drop this thing right now because it's not helping me? That's something that we need. What, what's happening and what's really dangerous is that instead of finding ways to use some of these norms sometimes and, and, and let them go at others, which is what being a good human is about, many of the men that I see and many of the men that we know uh, hold on to these for dear life. And what happens is that they actually have no outlet for their emotions. And so what happens is we end up with really problematic behaviors coming out in response to that, because they have, when you have no outlet, it just bubbles up. And what we always use in, in psychology is the idea, obviously, of a, of a bucket that's filling with water. And if you don't, you know, let some of that water out, it just overflows. And so what we see is instead of the typical expressions of distress and depression, for instance, that you would see in, in many women and quite a few men as well, which are, you know, just feelings of hopelessness and, and sadness and tearfulness and all of those things that you stereotypically link with depression. What you get instead in many men is anger, irritability, violence, aggression, substance misuse. And that is not being understood as a cry for help. It's being labeled as men behaving badly. And so what that means is that when these guys 
their bucket is overflowing and they're punching a hole in the wall, you know, out of sheer distress and anxiety very often. That is exactly the same as those people who are crying themselves to sleep. It's just a totally different expression of a very similar experience. And so what we need is to find a way to let those men, they don't need to, to cry it out. They don't need to do that. They just need to get to the point where pre-crisis, before this stuff overwhelms them, they find a way to alleviate that, whether it's exercising, talking with a mate, whatever it may be, just there's too much waiting going on here. There's too much, it'll be fine, she'll be right. That whole situation of burying what's going on for you is not flexible, it's not helpful, and that is not what masculinity is. You know, Masculinity is dealing with your shit when it arises. There's no doubt that there's fear and shame and it's damn difficult to express what's happening for you at any given point. But I can assure you, having seen countless men who have to do it when crisis hits, that is a much more uncomfortable situation because I have to put you back together at that point, you know? Whereas hopefully if we do it preemptively, it might be painful, but at least your life hasn't exploded, you know? At least you haven't lost your job and your wife and everything's gone to shit. I don't want to have to deal with, with that then. Neither do you, you know? It might seem painful to deal with this before things have really gotten out of control. But the long-term ramifications of, of getting on top of it is, is something you cannot underestimate. I just um, finished the podcast with Sam Harris on his Making Sense podcast. And he's speaking with David Buss about his new book, When Men Behave Badly. And he boils it down to the, the dark triad of narcissism, psychopathy, and Machiavellianism. The argument that Bus makes is when these three traits pile on top of each other, when you have men that have the constellation, to use a psychologist speak, you know, for our, for our listeners, it's the idea that, you know, there's these three chartered dots, it kind of looks like a constellation in the sky. When you have this constellation, bad things happen. You will see an overrepresentation of sexual assault, sexual abuse, rape, and it's these guys who are repeat offenders and he sort of leaves the readers of his book with a challenge of, you know, we've got to keep an eye out for these dark constellations. And he actually uses the example that you used, Harvey Weinstein. You know, he was definitely a dark constellation kind of guy. Um, but basically one of the one of the nice things about the the chat was it's not all men. When you say when men behave badly, it's not to say when all men behave badly. It's like there is a small group of men who have this dark consolation and they'll be repeat offenders and they'll be overrepresented in jails and overrepresented in sexual assault cases. Do you have any thoughts on, you know, this dark consolation? And I don't know, is it a idea of hope for men that, you know, maybe there are just a couple of bad actors? And do you have any thoughts on that? <laughs> I think that there's definitely, again, there's such a spectrum um, and, and nobody is going to believe that all men are thugs and criminals and rapists. You know, nobody's going to put that forward, no matter how radical you might be. No one, no one feels that. So there are these people like Harvey Weinstein who are, who are predatory, fundamentally predatory, and who have at their very core a, a, a broken moral compass, yeah? And so that's where the dark constellation comes in and this triad of, of really problematic behaviours. So one end of the spectrum, that's where really, really problematic behaviours take place, obviously, is, is with this constellation. But uh, 
the spectrum really goes, you know, there's, there's a difference between, and this is something that's, that is really important and that lots of people have been discussing, is that the Harvey Weinsteins of the world shouldn't be held in a very similar light to, to people, you know, who might say something that is, is verbally abusive, for instance, yeah? There's no denying that these are equally problematic behaviors in many ways and we should try and expunge them from society but um, somebody who is reliably consistently doing criminal disgusting things is is at one end of the spectrum the vast majority of men sit in that middle to light area where they fuck up every once in a while and that needs to be seen in a really different light where we can really make change here with very minimal intervention so yes, there's a really small percentage of people who are doing really bad shit at this end. And that is something that we have to come to terms with. And we, as, as men who don't sit in that area, should be looking out for these men and ensuring the safety of others around them. But for those of us who sit in here, and myself included, as someone who you know, sits and thinks about this stuff endlessly, I am still prone to mistakes. I'm still prone to overstepping the mark sometimes, to saying something that I wish I didn't say. It's how we take responsibility for those actions that makes the mark of a man. And I think that that's something that we should be considering. And I, and I know that all women would, would agree that there is this spectrum and that as long as we can get this conversation happening amongst the men who sit in this area where we understand that we're flawed and that we make mistakes and that we don't have to backlash with anger and shame and aggression, but can just go, I'm going to own this right now. And, um, because society will always come on board. Aziz Ansari is back on board, you know, because he owned it, he's spoken about it, and, and people are, are, are willing and, you know, our natural human state is, is to forgive, not to forget necessarily, but to, to find ways to forgive, whereas Harvey Weinstein doing shit endlessly for 20 years, it's going to be hard to forgive. There's something incredibly masculine in the way that you've, you've laid that out about taking responsibility for something that you've done and owning it. There's something very empowering and, and, and deeply masculine about the idea of you're yeah, fucked up. I'm going to carry that and I'm going to be yeah. a better, Do better person and moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I guess it's just a, a case now of um, making sure that we provide the forgiveness for those sorts of behaviors and don't continually persecute someone to allow them to have that space to, exercise that masculinity and take responsibility right and that's on society to understand the nature of transgressions and where they come from and um things are only getting better they feel harmful some sometimes they feel really difficult but the exposing of this stuff and they're grappling with it and they're going where are we what's happening what do i need to change here what do i need to do differently that's in everyone's best interest hmm. There's a lot in there. Um, the, the place that my mind goes to now is this picture you've painted of someone sitting with, you know, a clinician like yourself trying to unpack their life story and the, and, and the shit that, you know, it's built up to. And I know you've published a lot in the space of what happens when men do reach out and they don't get a good connection that first time and how that differs from, um, say... A, a female reaching out and the response is very different for men versus women. Can we maybe move on to that part of the, the problem? 
this is my jam because there are many men who are struggling in silence and who do not reach out and and that's a population that is very worrying and that deserves our attention but the reason I got into this area more broadly is because I read a quote it was from 1990 and I read it when I was in an undergrad class and it said it was from two German psychologists reliably German when you hear the quote it said women seek help and men die that's all it said and it was just so morose it was just like this is how it is and and so um what that what that said to me was like oh okay so firstly there's just this binary and all women are here and all men are here and and what it said and what followed in the literature was just endless examples of men don't seek help that's all it was men don't know how men won't men can't and i was like all right is anyone checking if men do um and what happens uh and it's crazy that i've built a career off that question you know the fact that nobody has has looked into this fundamentally like i'm an early career researcher in the grand scheme of things and i've been able to make a name for myself because i'm the only one so far who has asked what happens on the other side of the door you know what is actually going on here and so what we've realized is that there has been a huge increase in the amount of men who are seeking help um, and that is thanks to you know organizations like movember are you okay headspace podcasts like this you know there, there there's huge movement towards oh we have mental health understanding now we know what this looks like and it might happen at crisis it might happen a bit too late for what i would like but it's still happening in rates that are unprecedented so firstly to all of the men out there i'm seeing more men than ever before as are all psychologists across the world you know they're coming in and they're coming in thick and fast and that's incredible and that's what we want to see the issue is is that when they do come in many many of these guys and that's what you know the research that i've been doing for the past five years has looked at are not receiving the help that they want or the help that they need so there's a real conundrum here which is if we just push men through the door everything will be sweet that's just this this you know idea that everyone has had once we get him in we know how to handle them that is just not the case and that has become increasingly obvious um, as we look at the fact that while the rates of help seeking have increased by 10 to 15% in the past couple of years the suicide rate continues to rise so in 2019 moving into 2020 we were looking at the suicide stats and just before november's campaign in, in november the abs released their statistics for the year and you know we had all of these assets saying six men a day die by suicide in australia and the stats came out and i had to call our marketing team and you know a global marketing team and say you you have to update the stats it's now seven you know and that's an extra man that's a whole family that's ripple effects you know that that resonate across communities and the vast majority of these men have sought help 60 plus percent of these men who die by suicide have sought help there is a whole nother question around many of the men who haven't and we need to get them in and we need to get them looked after but the idea that this just happens out of the blue is bullshit there are so many men who are reaching out and who are not getting what they want so the question around men need to talk more men need to open up more men need to you know find ways to express themselves 
I'm fed up with the onus being put on men to adapt to a system that is not catering to their needs. And that is not how any form of health you know, service works. You don't go to a physio and they go, oh, I can't deal with this knee. I've never seen this knee before. You need to, you know, you need to move in this certain direction so that I can actually handle your knee. Like that, that's just not how this works. What the physician does is they go, oh, I'm going to adapt my practice to you. And that is not what is happening when it comes to many men um, because there has been such an influx and an, an overwhelming percentage of, of those who seek help have been women for so long. The system has built itself really around feminine emotional communication norms. And that is that when women come in, they're socialized, they're brought up, you know, to talk about their internal experience. Um, and that is something that hopefully we will get towards men understanding and being able to express in future generations. That's what we're working towards, not to turn them into women, but to turn them into to humans who understand what's going on for them and how to express that accordingly. But right now, many men who grow up do not have that socialized experience of being able to express what's happening for them. And so coming in and sitting across from somebody one-on-one, -on -one, staring them in the eye and talking about, you know, what they're feeling right now is not something that makes sense to them. It's not that they lack, you know, the ability to do it. It's just that it's, it's not comfortable for them. It's not something um, that they've necessarily done before. And so what we need is for the clinicians to, to find a way to speak to guys in a therapeutic sense that is going to make sense to them. And so, you know, that, that once bitten twice shy situations really spoke about the impact of a really unsatisfying treatment and the idea that if uh, men come in there's a really short window of opportunity to connect with them and if you miss that opportunity things can go real bad real quick so because it takes so long for many men to reach out you know as we spoke about they're coming in in crisis they've got every reason to not trust you they've got every reason to not want to be there and as a result, when they do get to the point of swallowing their pride, for instance, or, or you know, dealing with putting aside their shame or their fear um, for that hour and coming in, they really need to be met where they're at. They really need to be spoken to in a way that ensures that they feel empowered, as we, as we said, to, to come back, to feel like they're, they're going to get something practical and useful out of this. And what we're actually finding is that, you know, I, I did a study that showed that 43% of guys who had sought help before had actually dropped out prematurely, had left without telling anyone and had not gotten what they wanted. And so what that means down the line is that they are much less likely to disclose their distress in future. And that is the most worrying situation because that's where self-reliance starts to come in. And that's where we end up with men who are really unwell not talking to anybody about it and society on the whole workplaces families communities are not equipped to deal with men in distress and so you know the worse it becomes and the more that men withhold their distress from others the less likely it is that that this is going to end well and so you know, we need to find a way to make sure that when a guy comes in he has a really good experience because I know so many incredible psychologists, psychiatrists, social workers, you know, 
who can do this stuff if they just start to ask the men, what do you want from this? You know, how does this look for you? What do you expect right now? It needs to be a really collaborative and transparent situation that is, you know, goal oriented, action focused, where we try to get things, uh, you know, out of this that are going to be useful. Yeah, you can you can see how an unsuccessful attempt to connect with a clinician or a mental health worker might be an inflammatory, you know, contribution to the headspace of, of a of a bloke. You know, you could you could imagine a scenario where a guy's like, "Well, I've tried everything. I've even gone to talk to a clinician, and that didn't help. So fuck it," and, and then end up in an even worse space. Um, one of my buddies recently joined a a men's shed and he makes a whole bunch of stuff he's got a newborn and he made a little cot and he just loved it it's an initiative that i've got a lot of respect for mainly because of how i've seen the impact on him and while you were talking through all this it just made me think of men's shed because to a lot of guys and i guess young boys aren't any different if you want to talk to a young male you build something with him, you get the Lego out and you can start chatting. It's, you know, a little bit different if you talk to, like if I were to speak to, to my niece where, you know, you have a little tea party with her. Um, do you think that the way in which therapy is administered to men uh, exp- might, might be packaged differently, more in a hands-on context, like a men's shed kind of thing? Or, or is it just a case of getting the couch and therapist sitting opposite them, asking different questions, but keeping it to the same sort of setup? Really great question. And there are so many different approaches. And this is, you know, again, something that's really important for the listeners to to understand because they would experience it themselves. Every man has totally different needs. And so while I'm talking in broad brush strokes here, some things will work for some and some, you know, there are plenty of guys who don't want to fucking build a thing. You know, they don't want to, I got no interest in it. I am someone, for instance, who would much rather a tea party. You know, that's, that's just, uh, that's why I'm a psychologist. It's like, I, I much prefer people to things, you know, but the engineers of the world, you know, and the guys and the people in construction and those who work in male dominated spaces who struggle with the worst mental health outcomes really are the ones who might require something really different, but never, never expect something. Yeah. We should, we should always go and, and, and ask rather than assume I think that's really important when it comes to to men because if we do that thing where this oh this big bloke and that, here's an example I had this the biggest guy I've ever seen he was just the most shredded dude I've I've ever he was a client I walked in to my waiting room and he was sitting there he was Maori he had tats left right and center and um, it was a moment I just actually done some training where it was like you know understanding um, that the way that we expect things to take place can really impact the type of treatment that we administer. And so I said to myself, okay, I'm not going to, I'm going to put aside whatever stereotypes just based on appearance that I've got of this guy right now. And I'm going to give him, you know, my, a really open, you know, room here for us to just discuss what's happening. And whereas previously I probably would have been real blokey with him just to try and it's probably my own, you know, that's my own bias and my own idea of wanting to, being with the boys which is a really you know a t- totally different bias and, and stereotype that happens amongst clinicians because we're all human and we all have our own ideas as well instead of that i just decided to you know just ask him you know really what what was going on for him and just to to let him have that space 
And I've, I've still to this day, and this was three or four years ago, never had a client cry more in a session. Um, and he crumbled. He absolutely crumbled because that's what he needed. He needed an open space to just let loose. And he felt the trust and he felt the honesty. And, you know, we provided that. And that's what he needed that day. Three weeks later, when I saw him again, he needed a really constructive, empowering situation. And there wasn't a tear. And, you know, but it just depends, you know. So I think that that's something that we should really consider here is that each man can be packaged in every moment very differently. You know, our masculinity is constantly shifting from moment to moment, let alone day to day. And so never expect, but rather try to mold around what, what is happening. But when it comes to the therapy situation itself, I've done all manner of things. I've worked in, in Darwin in the Northern Territory where I just sat under a tree with some, some kids, you know, just wearing board shorts and, and, and chatting with them and having a, a yarn because, you know, they just wanted to tell stories and that's therapy, you know? And then I've been in other situations where I'm playing pool or ping pong with, with some young guys and that type of using your hands, you know, while doing something else, you'll, you'll often find with your mates that the time you have best conversations is when you're playing video games, for, for instance, because their mind is elsewhere. It's not like, let's talk about what's going on in your life, you know, because that's just not a comfortable situation for lots of guys. So, you know, there's equine therapy, there's adventure therapy, you know, I've been on hiking therapy stuff in the States where you go out and, and uh, get lost in the wilderness and, and, and that type, it really brings out, you know, a need for, for discussion and, and that can be really powerful as well. But nonetheless, the vast majority of clinicians who work in the city, you know, who are, are sitting in a tiny room, don't have the ability to do this stuff, but what they can do, as you said, is shift up their mode of questioning. And that means really paying attention to the way that the guy is responding to you and um, building out a totally different approach, a different system based on what they're looking for. And so I try to make sure that the guy feels like he's an expert in the room. The example, the analogy that I always use is that we're in a car, we're driving, I'm the navigator. I'm next to you in a rally car. You're the one, you know, with the, with the gear stick and you're, you're deciding where you're going to go. But I'm telling you, this is a, this is a short route. This is going to be an easy one. This is a long one. This is, you know, how long it will take. And you get to decide if you want to choose the short one, the long one, or you just want to fucking plow into a tree or you want to reverse the amount of clients who just reverse, you know, they just, they just retreat. They want out. I give them the power to realize that I'm not the one doing any magic here. Yeah. Because lots of guys uh, really make it feel like, Oh, Doc, I've got to come to you. I need this, you know, I need this injection of, of, uh, of understanding and then I'll go off and then I'll come back. And it's like, no, I'm not the one doing this. I need you to feel like you are actually the person who is central in this process, who has the understanding to deal with shit when it comes up in future. And so um, I really build up that understanding and that empowering, you know, therapeutic relationship that says, this is on you, mate. And you are the one who is going to be able to, to get out of this, you know, with your own, you know, fundamental ingredients. I mean, that's a really empowering place to leave a bloke, isn't it? It's tough, but you're strong enough to get out of this. I'll, I'll help you with a bit of a map on, on how to do it, but you can do it. That's a great place to leave a guy. 
anyone really I, I, yeah i i end up being tony robbins to be honest most <laughs> of the time just screaming at them being like you got this but it, you it got, really like there do you are do the roar like that like the chest yeah, out yeah, roar seriously. yeah <laughs> there are there are many times and this again depends on the client but uh, i go into motivational coach you know sometimes and that and if that's what's needed to be a performance coach you know what what it comes down to i say i am very clearly a personal trainer of the mind i'm not here to watch over you all the time i'm here to give you the tools in this hour so that you can go off for the rest of the week and strengthen yourself and come back and then we'll do another workout and that's how it's going to be and you know, we can use any metaphor under the sun that's going to make a guy comfortable. But when it comes down to it, it is we are going to mine what is going on in your life. I'm going to question the shit out of you. And you are going to actually have to face, wow, that might hurt. That might be uncomfortable. That might be something that I haven't thought of before. But fucking embrace it. You know, what I always question guys about is you are given a roadmap to live differently right here, right now. I can make things easier for you. Why are you not taking it? You know, do you want to, do you want to continue to suffer and create suffering for your friends and family? Because while you think that you're keeping it to yourself, they know, they're feeling it. It resonates off you like, like there's no tomorrow. Yeah, there is a constant hum of, of distress and anger and all of these things that everyone is feeling. Your performance at work is shit. You know, there are all of these things that everyone can sense. You think you're hiding it, but you're not. And so you're here now. You're spending the money. You're spending the time. Stop fucking around is really what it, what it comes down to. Make the most of this. You know, that's what, that's what being a man is. It's going... I am not living optimally. I am not doing things as as best as I can. Um, so what can I what can I shift up here? I love it. I'm getting that that motivational vibe going. That's great. Here I, you. I, I watched a YouTube video with Jordan Peterson the other day, and he said something that really resonated with me. He was talking about about phobias, and he said, you know, the thing in in his clinical experience on helping clients with phobia is not to tell them, oh, don't worry, the spider's not that scary or the, the flight isn't that big a deal. The, these planes are checked all the time. It's to say, yeah, the spider's dangerous. Yeah, the plane is dangerous, but you're strong enough. You're strong enough to overcome this and to really extol and like inspire someone with the strength to be able to get their shit together and move on. And listening to you sort of set that up really gave me the same sense of it's like yeah yeah it's shit it's a bad situation but you're strong enough to change that um do you find that that's a message that you you continually um share with your clients definitely the the example that i always use is around a ladder in many ways and i say all right you're at the bottom of the ladder right now they keep telling me that they've hit rock bottom it's it's the worst it could be you know if they're if they're suicidal or they're bankrupt or there's all of these things going on i go things are only going to get better. And, and we get to do that together. You're, you're at the bottom right now. And they say, you know, they come up with every excuse under the sun for why they don't want to climb that ladder. It's too hard. I might fail. And I say, you're just going to fall back to where you are now. It's not going to get any worse. So start climbing. You know, there is no reason that you should not be striving for just one rung in the next couple of weeks, you know, to just climb a little more because you've been there before, you've been up there and you feel like uh, there's no way you can rise again because right now everything just feels 
immovable. It feels like you're, you're in quicksand, but that ladder is for climbing. <laughs> That's why it's there. And it is for falling as well. And it is from those falls that we realize what we're made of and what we're capable of. And if you don't climb, then why the fuck are you here? You know, there has to be an understanding that improvement is always on the horizon. It is always and just a matter of time. That's what it comes down to. You look at all of the clinical research, you know, there are all of these randomized control trials. And there's something, there's this really interesting effect where the control group, the group who get nothing, always get better anyway because time does that you know no matter if you give them the placebo you give them whatever you give them they will always just get better with time anyone who who is you know severely depressed that the time naturally is a healer of sorts and so i tell them that this is the worst that you are going to feel and i know that it feels like something you cannot overcome but I'm here. You've got resources. You've got people around you. You don't need to feel alone. And you have the ability to gain the skills to, in really, really small ways, feel like a useful member of society tomorrow. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of being a man, at least for me, is feeling like you've got that use, feeling like you've got that utility, feeling like you've got that purpose. Uh, I, I mean, when I hear that kind of thing as a man, it makes me want to step up. It makes me want to be more. And, and I imagine that probably resonates with a lot of people listening as well. So um, what, a, what an awesome message. Zach, I'm conscious of time and I have to ask you about consent. In our sort of pre-chat, we talked about consent. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners want to hear about your views on this as well. There's a lot of dialogue right now about sexual consent and what it means. The government's made an app where you can log your consent um, there's all this education out there. There's, you know, a lot of guilt, a lot of anger out there. And you mentioned something that perked my interest. You said that a lot of the dialogue you're hearing from men is anger and frustration at the conversation of sexual consent. Let's maybe start with that. Um, why do so many men feel angry by the conversation of sexual consent? What are you hearing amongst your clients and what's their perspective on this? Mm. Um, what I'm hearing, and, and I wrote a piece about this for, for the ABC, is the idea, and I was actually getting it from a lot of, of mothers and, and fathers who were saying, I'm so worried about my, my son. He's, he's so stressed. He's not even leaving the house. Like he won't go to a, and, you know, we're in lockdown now, but he won't go to a party for fear of being accused of, of doing something. And what I made clear, and something that's a really important statistic for lots of guys out there, which often gets misconstrued is that false allegations are really, really, really uncommon. So that's, that's something to, to, to pay attention to in the first instance. That is not to say that there are serious examples of what ends up being the court of public opinion where, you know, people end up getting their character besmirched and, and just through the dirt um, and, and they end up being, you know, having this idea that they are in no way able to get back on the horse and, and back into their into their lives because they've been dragged into this situation. But something that I, I talk to all of these guys about is the confusion that they have around what consent actually means is where this 
fear really comes from because they don't necessarily understand where the line is you know they don't understand they and and the vast majority of young guys that i talk to firstly have had no education about what what is going on here they're 16 17 they've been having sex for however long and they still have absolutely no idea what consent actually means um and so they think that that they're that there's gray zones everywhere and and what i try to suggest and what incredible organizations like man cave and tomorrow man who i recommend that everyone um checks out who are doing all of these you know facilitated groups talking to young guys about what what it means you know when it comes to consent um is that you know that idea of this this moving line this moving line of consent is just not the case yes and no are really clear answers and the problem is is that many young guys are not necessarily paying attention to those you know emotional cues and those physical cues from from their partner which means or they're not trained to or they don't actually pick up on those things and so that's where it gets really frightening for them because they go how am i supposed to know what's going on and the key the key to everything that we've spoken about today is communication is an understanding of what is what can i say right now that is not going to you know it's not going to make me look like an idiot if i ask something it's not going to ruin the moment you know, if anything, and I can assure you of this, uh, having worked with plenty of young women who, who talk about this is, you know, it's not a turn off. If anything, it's a turn on to ask somebody, is this all right? Yeah. Is this okay? Do you want this? Is, is that enough? Is that good? Is that, you know, so what I am really witnessing is this serious fear that um, they're going to be dragged into something that they weren't even aware they had a role in. And what I try to talk to these young guys about is that this is a moment for them to actually step up again um, and to, you know, grab the bull by the horns and go, I'm actually going to lead here and I'm going to talk to my mates about what is going on here. And if anything, we can get out of this dark gray area that is consent through discussing what's happened, you know, for each of us in ways that young girls talk to each other. Yeah. Guys don't talk to each other about this stuff. There's sexual conquest or there's silence. That's kind of how it works. There's no in between. And I, and I can't wait for this, for the popular jock in the, in the schoolyard to come forward and go, uh, they're like, how was your weekend? And he goes, Oh yeah. You know, me and the, the girlfriend, we were watching a movie. It was great. We were, you know, moving towards having sex for the first time, but she said she wasn't ready. And I said, cool, that's sweet. I'll wait. You know, how, when was the last time anyone bragged about that? <laughs> um, to have that, that discussion come forward where, where young guys are willing to discuss what actually takes place, um, you know, in the bedroom and actually break down what it means and, and get to the point where that is actually, that is powerful. You know, that is the, the empowering moment where they can go, oh, this is actually something that I should be proud of one way or another. I, I think that that is, that's something that I'm trying to sell to them. I don't think many men realize, and this is, this is a, a, you know, a, a strange angle here, um, which is that, you know, I, I align myself with lots of these, you know, pretty, pretty forward thinking progressive ideas around gender and, and the way that men can act and respond to women, for instance. And I get a lot of power out of that. You know, I get a lot of, uh, you know, the idea that if we just hold on to the old things, that's where the power is. 
in fact, if you start to move with change, if you start to adapt to the to the new circumstances that we're in, um, there's a lot of support, there's a lot of love, there's a lot of connection. And uh, my new my new motto is that nice guys finished first. Yeah, there's there's always the, the idea that nice guys finish last. I just I don't buy that anymore. I think I think uh, women and everyone are, are willing to buy into the idea that if you are on board with this stuff and you can understand what's going on, you know, you go on every dating app left, right, and center, and you're going to find women saying, "I'm looking for a man who goes to therapy." <laughs> That's what every every woman is 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 saying because they want people who understand what's going on for them. It's not in touch with your emotions. It's who am I? What do I want? And that's what what this whole process of communication brings out, hopefully. Yeah, you definitely want a partner that has insight into their emotional state. And there's nothing worse than trying to resolve a conflict or an issue and trying to deal with a partner, male or female, that's unable to understand their own state. So that, that's absolutely something that, that resonates just from, from my personal life experience as well. And you know, men do feel like they are potentially one hashtag away from being vilified. All you need is a me too on a tag somewhere and your career could be scuttled. That That's the end. You know, that is a very scary place and it, do, it does look like the landscape has changed. What you're saying about change really resonates with me though. Uh, I mean, if you can't adapt with change, you die. The dating landscape has changed. But what are some of the more successful ways that you've seen your clients adapt to the new dating environment like it or hate it it is what it is and it's changed and um, there are new risks there's new expectations on how men need to act uh, how they need to communicate have you got any examples in mind of where you've seen your clients change and adapt to put them in you know the running to be a great Mm. mate to be a great partner Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I think mateship, I think that's a really good example as well. It's not only, you know, intimate partner relationships. It's also the relationships with your friends that are changing, hopefully slowly but surely. I'm sure that, you know, my, my dad and grandfather's friendships with his mates were, were totally different to, to mine and will be totally different to my, my children's. And I'm looking forward to that. And I'm sure that many women listening would say that the dating game hasn't changed that much and that there's still a lot of dickheads out there who are doing bad things. And if anything, you know, again, there is the chance that things go really awry when it comes to being called out for something that, you know, wasn't necessarily anything that you, that you did. But something that's really important is intention. And while you may not have intended to do anything wrong, and this is something that I'm seeing with a lot of young guys who are now opening up, they go, I didn't intend to do something wrong. And I go, but that's not, that's not the issue here. Yeah. It's like Harvey Weinstein may not have intended to do what he did. Um, But fundamentally, when it comes down to it, if you make somebody um, uncomfortable, all it comes down to is you need to understand somebody else's needs here. Yeah. And you know, that whole, penis to brain situation that everybody everybody talks about so i've got a brain in my pants and no one's telling you to get rid of desire and passion or anything like that but there has to be a moment where you click pause and you go uh what's happening right now you know is this something that uh you know she feels comfortable with and can i just check in really quickly really easy to do and that's something that i'm witnessing is just that idea of i'm not intending to make her uncomfortable i'm not intending to make her um, 
you know, feel endangered or anything, but can I check? That's something that I'm, I'm really liking. And I'm really hoping that we're going to get young guys who are really so much better at those quick checks. That's what I want to say. It doesn't need to be a huge, endless conversation. Most women don't want to have that, especially in the heat of the moment as well. But that just quick, you good, might, might be something you know, that, that could change the game here. And so just dropping that in every, every once in a while, while also paying attention, and that's what I'm seeing as well, that um, men are not necessarily afraid, but they're also realizing that the sex and the relationship and the connection is better if they attend to the needs of their partner, God forbid, who would have thought that that was, that was something to, to look forward to. Yeah. Can you maybe talk about some of the resources out there, some of the great initiatives for any blokes or anyone who has a, a man in their life that could do with connecting in with someone and ultimately avoiding the scenario that we painted out earlier where you go and connect with someone and it's just not working for you. Awesome. So yeah, no, November did start. It's our 18th birthday this year. So we're going to have a, uh-huh. a party, hopefully not yeah. in lockdown. Um, and, uh, you know, we did start in the prostate cancer space. It started as a bit of a gimmick, really, amongst a couple of mates who go, where's the moustache gone? Bring that back. And I love that. That's exactly <laughs> how the, the world's largest men's health charity should start. Bit of banter, you know, it's yeah. just like, oh, and then let's raise some money and then we'll just work out what to do with that after. So it started in the, in the prostate cancer space and has moved very quickly into the mental health space, just given the stats, given the, given the state of play, and also given how loud I am as a human being, I'm not going to, I'm not going to um, let that, let that go. And so we've really. That's right. I, I, got, I still up. have the Tony Robbins, you know, roar in mind. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'm just doing that endlessly. I walk into the office and just start screaming. Um, <laughs> but there, there, there are so many um, incredible programs across the globe that we fund, um, you know, both internally and externally. Um, something that I've been working on just to talk about exactly what we chatted through before is, is my program called Men in Mind, which is really focusing on upskilling the mental health workforce to be able to deal with men when they come in so this isn't necessarily unless you know your your listeners are mental health professionals it's not for them but it should help them sleep at night knowing that hopefully in future when they go and they see a psychologist or a social worker or a counselor they're going to be equipped they're going to be ready to rumble when it comes to actually doing that you know adapting to the man in front of you, understanding their masculinity, understanding how your own gender interacts with theirs and and motivating them uh, to be a part of a really empowering process. So that's that's something that I work on really day to day. Incredible other programs, as you just said before. What happens when you've got a guy um, who you can't crack, who you who you know is probably struggling, but you don't know how to have this conversation? It's real damn awkward. It's real uncomfortable. You know that really stoic mate that you've got. You can't imagine having a conversation about some of this stuff um, with him. We've created a, a conversation starter called Mo Conversations, and it's it's literally an online text-based it, it literally walks through a text messaging conversation between two people whether it be talking about grief or talking about a loss of a job or a relationship breakdown it gives you those tools to go what am i supposed to do next what happens if they stonewall me you know what happens if they're in denial all of those little things that we really experience very often so my conversations is that we've also got family man which is an incredible program for young dads who are dealing with kids with behavioral difficulties and learning how to actually respond to those shitty moments where they throw a tantrum in the grocery store and just start throwing shit everywhere. Um, 
And that's a really awesome scenario based. What should you do next? You know, pick your own adventure type situation, which has been great. Um, we've also got the Dads in Progress podcast, um, you know, which is hopefully something that's really useful for them to, to listen to because it's a normalizing thing. You know, we need to go, what are other people struggling with here? Dads have just not had, you know, they've been mother groups forever. And dad groups are now, just like men shared slowly, we're just getting to this point where we go, oh, we should probably talk to each other about this experience and learn some tricks um, about how to do this. So we're, we, we've got some stuff in the, in the dad space as well. Um, but beyond um, what we do at Movember, um, there are some incredible organizations who do, you know, meetups, for instance, because the, the main issue that I am witnessing at the moment is social isolation and loneliness. Um, and not even just because of COVID, you know, men lose friends as they age. Um, we found that, you know, over, over 40% of men had no one in their life that they felt that they could talk to about what was going on for them. That is, you know, that's the fundamentals of humanity is connection. And so without that, all of my clients are really struggling to, to find people to talk to, to feel, you know, connected and, and the sense of belonging. And so um, organizations like Mr. Perfect, who do like barbecue meetups are awesome. Um, you know, as you said, men sheds, uh, there's, there's some really great uh, resources out there that are not necessarily going to therapy because you might not need it. You might not be there yet. You just need something to do, some people to talk to um, in, a, in a broader sense. So, um, you know, there, there are huge moves being made in the men's health space. And I really hope that guys of all ages are going to jump on board um, with this movement and, and understand that this is in everyone's best interest, you know, to, to look after yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, great resources. I'll include all that in the show notes. Um, I spoke with a clinician the other day, a counselor who'd done your Men in Mind training course on TalkLink, uh, and she was a raving fan. She thought it was a brilliant program, so uh, she she thought it really helped fill in the gaps on how to adjust your language and how to how to project herself as a clinician towards a male client. I've got this image still, this massive Maori dude sitting there. Movember is coming. Um, you and I are speaking now at the start of September. We're going to try and uh, release this just before Movember or the very start of, of November. Uh, what are the rules for the blokes who are keen to jump on board? Serious, serious question here now. The really fun thing is that uh, in our office, if, if I come in and I have not been clean shaven at the start of November, a, a razor gets dropped on my desk. <laughs> and I have to, it's, it's madness. And, like, there and for are those no who... Police- well, for those who can't see uh, your face right now, Zach, you are sporting an excellent beard. Uh, you've got very, very good volume on the side, excellent moustache, <laughs> good, good depth in the, you know, on the chin. Thank you. It's genetic. So clean baby shave. Yeah, yeah. So the the uh, on the the first of November, or the month previously known as November, um, you have to have a full clean baby shave no matter how and this is the thing everyone thinks that they look like an idiot we do look like idiots that is the whole point <laughs> and when you walk around and you suddenly don't have a beard when you had a beard you can say i'm doing an incredible thing for men's <laughs> mental health like there's no there's no need to be ashamed of it if anything you know and i'm so lucky to have a group of 10 to 20 guys in in my life who do it because I work for Movember and they do it every year and they make absolute fools of themselves. You know, I got my best mate, Joel, who dyed his moustache pink last year and is just walking around 
and it was the greatest sight you know anyone's ever seen. And Shout, out to Joel. Shout out to Joe. Shout out to Joe. Good on you, mate. Pink, pink mustache. Well done. <laughs> and so and so, uh, you know, we have it. You have a clean shave, and you have to keep everything else except your mustache clean shaven for the rest of the month as well. So you start off with a clean shave, then you let the mustache grow, and as 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 you're going, making sure that the sides and and goatee and everything else is is clean shaven, um, and then letting the mo grow and and regardless, we love the wispies. You know, we love the gingies. We love anything. Anything you can grow will save a bro, as we always say. Anything you grow will save a bro. And if you then wanted to raise some some money, what's the steps? How do you do that? How do you pitch that to your friends and family? For sure. So we, you just head to Movember.com and, and sign up. We've got like, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of guys across Australia. I was sitting on a plane. Um, and a guy was looking at his Mo space, as we call it, um, next to me uh, l- last year. And um, we just had the most incredible chat about why he was doing it. He'd lost a mate to suicide and, and uh, how all of his mates were getting around and they were having an event at a pub. And it's just, you know, men are not necessarily the best at creating, you know, these events are not necessarily the, the best at raising money. We know that um, they're not the best at talking about their health at all, all of these things. And we provide hopefully a platform for that month to just get this stuff front and center. And so if you head to movember.com, you just create your Mo space, you put up a a photo and you talk through the reason you might be doing it. Um, And really the best thing about it is pulling all of your mates in and making it just a mockery of of all of your facial hair for the, (laughs) for the month. It's just such a, it's seriously like the sense of community that I've felt um, you know, flying across Australia, I've been in rural and regional areas. I've worked, you know, talked with firemen. I've talked with indigenous guys, and um, it's just a, a language that um, that just you know really covers the whole country. And if anything, we're we're in you know twenty plus countries as well. You can go global, and you can talk about Movember. It's in the office, for God's sake. There's a there's an episode where they talk about Movember in the office, and I was like, damn, I'm working at the right place. That's when you know it's set. What a great way to, uh, to to deal with a pretty heavy topic with humor and with a ridiculous mo. Zach, you're doing a great job. Um, to the whole team at Movember, thank you for everything you guys do and thank you for your time today. Thanks, Ron. Really appreciate it. Okay. Well, that's it for today. We hope that you've enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Zach Seidler. If you'd like to connect with a therapist, head over to talklink.com.au. See you soon.